You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Thank you so much. That's a blessing. All right. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah today, in the book of Nehemiah, chapter number three. And uh, before we turn there, boy, we've just been going right through the service, but I just think it would be appropriate to pause for a moment and just rejoice over the, uh, the Supreme Court decision this week. And there's a lot of work to do, and it doesn't solve everything, but, uh, but I sure am glad for uh, that. And man, is that not an answer to prayer? And I just think we ought to praise the Lord. Give a hand. Uh, there. Um, but then also pray, you know, as God's people, we need to continue to show the love of Christ. We need to continue to support crisis pregnancy because we want to, we want to continue to support uh, these, uh, I'd say young mothers, but mothers in general that get themselves into trouble. Uh, you know, we uh, want to be willing to open up our hearts and homes uh, in, in terms of adoption, show the love of Christ. And so uh, there's a lot that we need to do in order to show love and support uh, for those that you know, find themselves in these 
unplanned pr pregnancies and things of that nature. So uh, remember that also. Uh, but in Nehemiah chapter number 3 today, I want to read the first couple of verses where the Bible says, Then Eliashab, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priest, and they builded the sheep gate. They sanctified it and set up the doors of it, even unto the tower of Mia. They sanctified it unto the tower of Haniel. In verse 2, the Bible says, And next unto him builded the men of Jericho, and next to them builded uh, Zachor, the son of Imri. And we'll stop reading right there for the, place of time, uh, for the sake of time. And I just want to just say a couple things in the way of introduction, if you will. We learn some important things about God when we study the book of Nehemiah. And I believe it's important that what we know about God. A couple things that we learn about God that I believe can benefit us and help us today. Number one is learning something about the judgment of God. Now, I mentioned this earlier because we've been going through the book of Nehemiah. Judgment. When you think of the judgment of God, that generally has a pretty negative connotation, and rightly so. However, what we sometimes fail to remember is that God's judgment is really a sign of His love. The people that we're reading about here in the book of Nehemiah are under God's judgment. And the reason they're under God's judgment is because of their sin. He allowed them to go into Babylonian captivity. He allowed them to be taken out of their homeland and taken away. He allowed the temple and the walls to be torn down because of their sin. There was the judgment of God. But the thing that we always got, you always got to know and please understand about the judgment of God is that God's judgment is just the means. It's a means, not the end. God, the whole reason he was judging his people was so that he could get their attention and get them right. It's the same way for a parent disciplining a child. Now, we could be fooled into believing that a loving parent would never uh, try to correct their child. You know, you think about that. The Bible says that a child comes forth from their mother's womb telling lies. Did you know it said that? Uh, did you ever teach your kid to be mean and to do bad things? To lie, to steal. You don't teach your kids that stuff, generally speaking. They do it naturally. So as a loving parent, you should always just let them keep doing those things. Because a loving parent would never, a loving parent would never, you know, I've got a grandbaby now, and uh, she's just at that stage that anything she gets, she goes, it's the cutest thing in the world, and tries to get it in her mouth, you know. Now, as a loving grandparent, I would, you know, if she was to try to put a battery or something else in her mouth, that she, it would be an awful thing for me to try to take that away from her, wouldn't it? And, and I'm using that as, a, as an example. That's how ridiculous it is when people try to say, oh, a loving God, he just lets people go off into destruction. He's so wonderful. No, a loving God judges. But that is not the end, it's the means. He, he, because where we're reading here in Nehemiah, we see the grace of God. God's judgment brought them to this point, but God's love and grace is revealed because now he's got them in a place to where he can do what he really wants to do, and that's to bless them again and get them in a right relationship and to use them for his glory and honor. So what God did was he allowed the Persians to come in and defeat the Babylonians. You can read all about this in your world history. The Persians come in, defeat the Babylonians. God moves on the, the, the Persian king Cyrus, and King Cyrus allowed his people, or allowed Israel, to go back and build the temple under Ezra. And then that, that allowed for now, several years later, for Nehemiah to go back and build the walls around the temple. So we learn something about God's judgment. We learn th something about God's grace. Remember, God's people here are living in a city 
that the walls are torn down around it. And to us, that might not sound like a lot, but that's a big deal in the ancient world. But here's something we learn about the grace of God. God cares that things are a wreck. God cares that things are falling apart. Even though it was because of what they had done, God still cares. And God, therefore, wants to see them repaired. He wants to see that these things are restored. And folks, that's where the church comes in. And that's where the ancient message out of here from the book of Nehemiah is still relevant today. See, everything done by Ezra and Nehemiah they have an eternal impact. I want to emphasize that. Everything they did matters for all time and eternity. But what we know is today that those walls in that city was once again tore down. In other words, it was temporal in the, as far as its endurance of what they physically did. Because in the years to come, the people of God, the, the, the Jews, would turn from the Lord. They would reject their Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, and be, uh, have a part in having him crucified, and then later on their temple would indeed be destroyed. However, God is still not done. Number one, he's not done with the people of Israel. Isn't it amazing? You, you open to the book of Nehemiah, you're reading this ancient text, and you're thinking, what would that have to do with today? Well, does Jerusalem have anything to do with today? Well, it certainly does. And Jerusalem has been important uh, all of our lifetime, and it continues to be so. But God's not done with his people, but also he's not done with this ultimate plan. Because the Bible says, if you want to see this thing go full circle, in Revelation 21, it says, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold! The tabernacle of God is with men. And listen to this. You just hear God's heart in these words. And he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. It goes on to say, and God shall wipe all the tears away from their eyes. See, you see what God's ultimate goal is because he is, He's allowing man to do a work that's ultimately going to fail. It doesn't mean that it, that, it, that it doesn't matter. It just means that it's ultimately going to fail, but that eventually God's going to do a work with His hands. He's going to build a city. He's got a plan that will not, will not fail and will last for all eternity. And that's good news. So we learned something of God's judgment. We learned something of God's grace. We learned something else, that God never changes. The Bible says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, For I am the Lord, I change not. Just as God cared about the walls of this city, this ancient city we're studying about being torn down, God cares today that there's people's lives that are lying in ruins. He cares today. He cares about a country. He cares about a people. He cares about individuals whose lives are just seem to be destroyed right now, laying around with no hope whatsoever. Hallelujah. We have a God that cares. That's good news, isn't it? He cares whose lives are scattered like the, hopelessly like the stones that made up the walls of this city. And today, he uses the church to salvage lost souls, to rebuild lives for his glory. See, you and I, we, was anybody, did anybody, when, when God found you, was anybody else a broken wreck? 
I certainly was. And you know what? God began to do a work in me. And let me tell you something. Just in case you're concerned, he's not done with me yet. Kind of reminds me of the, of the little boy. He, his, uh, his dad was all excited because his, his, his new boss, his new CEO was coming over to the house for supper. And, and you know how kids catch certain things. And, and he, was, he was telling his wife, and just, boy, everything's got to be right. Everything's got to be perfect. Boy, this guy, and he started bragging up his boss. And one of the things he said about him that caught the kid's attention, his son's attention, was when he said, he's a self-made man. He's a self-made man. And that just stuck in that little boy's head. And so that little boy's saying, well, what's this guy going to look like? What's he going to be? And the first thing that little boy thought and said when that man walked in the door was, my, if he's a self-made man, it seems like he would have done a better job than that. Um, <laughs> see, but we're God's work. I'm so glad you just, if you can just excuse me for a moment while I just say hallelujah, praise the Lord, and give God the glory. I'm glad God cared about me when my life was laying around in ruins. And I'm glad God began to pick up the pieces and build something. And I'm glad he's continuing to do that. I'm a part of the work of God. But you want to know something else? God takes those that are his works and he turns us into his workers. He puts us into the church, and we're still His works, but we're also His workers. And that's what God is doing today. He is working. He is, he, he is salvaging lost souls. He's re, re, rebuilding lives for the glory of God, and He's doing it through the church. Like the, labor, like the labor of the people in our text that are building these walls, our work is for a short time. We know, based on the Word of God, that eventually this age will end in a turning away from God and His truth, and the work of the church will seemingly be destroyed. However, I want to encourage you today, because the Bible says your labor is not in vain in the Lord. See, there's none of us around here today that are ready to throw in the towel, man. We're ready to fight. We're ready to make a difference. We're ready to get out there on the front lines and do all we can do for the glory and honor of God. And you say, well, preacher, you just said that it's going to all end in failure one day. It will, but it don't have to be today. <laughs> it don't have to be today. It does not have to be during my lifetime. We can continue to make a difference. We can continue to feel. We can continue to care. We can continue to be a part of God's work, and that's the, the message that I'm trying to get to today, your work is not in vain in the Lord. The Bible says your works will follow you. The work you do today will make a difference for eternity. Now, this gets into the, the, the message that I want to try to get across to you today, and that is this. Where do you come in? Where is your place in the work? Where is your place in the work? And by the way, there is a work. Notice this with me, if you will. Look in verse 2 again with me. The Bible says, And next unto him builded the men of Jericho, and next to them builded Zachar. Go down to verse number 4. And next unto them repaired uh, Merimoth. If you skip on down to the end of verse 4, And next unto him repaired Meshulam. Verse 4, or even further down in the verse, next unto him repaired Zadok, verse 5, verse 1, and next unto them, the Tekoites, verse number 7, and next unto them, verse number 8, and next unto him, and verse number 8, next unto him, verse 9, next unto them, verse 10, and so on. What you see is there's a work to be done, and there's people that are finding their place in the work. 
They are finding their place in the work on this wall. So keep that in mind. There's a work to do. The work that God wants to do in this world today, He wants to do it through the church. And man alive, this pulpit's still hot from Sunday school. I'm telling you right now, if you were not here for our 945 Bible study hour, do yourself a favor. Uh, I mean, but listen, put, put on your seatbelt and make sure your feelings ain't getting ready to get hurt. And listen to Kurt's Sunday school lesson from this morning. It was incredible. Um, and I was sitting there thinking, man, Kurt, this just goes right together with the message today. But, uh, but there is a work to do. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians Chapter 3, verse 9, we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Listen to this. Ye are God's building. So it says we're God's laborers, but we're also God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder. This is Paul talking. I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So there's a work. There's a purpose for the work. Folks, the purpose of the work is the glory of God. God set up Jerusalem. He set up this temple, this ancient city, this, this ancient temple to be a light to the world, to bring glory to Almighty God. Why? So that people may come to Almighty God. So that people may know the wonderful forgiveness of sins. In knowing Him. That was the purpose of Jerusalem. That was the purpose of the temple during this time. It was the glory of Almighty God. And see, but, the, but here's the thing. Do you think about this temple? It was not what God, it was not the symbol of holiness and righteousness and goodness that it was intended to be. But I want you to know something. It still posed a threat to the world system. Because when you read through chapter 2 and chapter 3, you'll find out that these people kept trying to mock the work of God. They tried to make fun of it. They tried to ridicule. Why? See, if, the, if, if this work really was irrelevant to them, they would just ignore it altogether. They would not try to tear it down. They would not try to send government agencies to investigate and do everything they can to do away with the work of God. They would, have just, they would have just let it go. But what they did is they were ridiculing. They were making fun because they were trying to discourage the people of God because the people of God were making a difference. The temple was to represent salvation and hope to a world of darkness. How about the church? You and I today. Matthew 5.14 Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Folks, the church today is vital and is making an impact. The church is still a threat to the world system. When the Bible talks about the world, you know when the Bible talks about the world as far as love not the world and, that, and talks about the enemy of the world? It's not talking about people. One thing you need to understand, and I've said it before, but I, I, I have to remind myself, and you need to be reminded as well, the Bible says that our battle is not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in dark places. In other words, it's a spiritual battle. If you think you can lay your, if you think you can see and touch your enemy, you need to recalibrate. Because that's not your enemy. Now God may, whoa, there that goes. Uh, the devil may, let me push that over here a little more. The devil may use flesh and blood, but our ultimate enemy is not flesh and blood. And we really need to understand that today. Uh, if you See, I, I'm more interested in, uh, and that's one of the reasons I've said this before, I'm more interested in winning people than I am winning the argument. 
And that's why I'm interested in hearing people, people that may be diametrically opposed to my beliefs. I'm not just trying to attack them for the sake of attacking them. I want to try to have a conversation. You can't always do it, but I want to be able to have a dialogue. I want to have a conversation because the thing I understand is why would this person feel this way? Why would this person say such things? I'll tell you why. Because they're in darkness. And they need the light. Jesus died for this person. He loves this person. They're not my enemy, although they may be pushing the cause of the enemy. And so today, the church is making a difference. And we are making a difference. The church is still standing against the spirit of Antichrist and the mystery of iniquity. That's why we make church a priority. That's why it's important that church isn't just somewhere down the line of what we do. The church, I'm telling you, the local church is important. It's vital. It was when Jesus started it, and he has not changed his mind about that. It's the church that's going to make a difference in this world. Oh, my friend, listen, the Bible says this. God's Word says in 1 Timothy 3.15 that it speaks of the house of God, the church, and if you have any question about it, which is the church of the living God, and it says it is the pillar and ground of truth. If you just ask yourself one of the big questions today, and it's this, one of the great problems with the world is we live in a post-truth world. You know, people get to make up their own truth, and truth is in crisis and all this. But the Bible says that the house of God, the church, the church, this place is the pillar. Pillars hold things up. And the ground, the foundation of the truth. I wish you would study, if you would, if you would just study, if you were interested, a little bit about American history. And you follow the decline of our country. And boy, people can sit back in the church and fuss about the decline of the country all they want to. But I'm telling you folks, there is a direct correlation between the decline of the church, the decline of the preaching of the Word of God, standing for the Word of God, there, the, the decline of Christians being involved in the process, running for office, Uh, being vital, speaking out, not just in these four walls, but living a life on our jobs of salt and life, showing the love of Christ, standing. There is a direct correlation with the church's decline and this nation's decline. The Bible says the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Why? Because the house of God is the ones that are responsible. Christians over the years will give an answer to the way these things have gone. And so Jesus said that if the salt has lost lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? But folks, we're seeing the difference that the church is making. But it's one of the reasons that over and over again, you know, and it's it's tough. I was having this conversation the the other day, and and it's so hard as a pastor when you're trying to encourage people about the the, the vital importance of being a a part and an active part and and a serving part and a committed part to the church. And it don't have to be this church, but it needs to be some Bible-preaching church that you're committed to. Why? Because it makes such a difference. But it's hard as a pastor. Because somebody said, well, yeah, I guess you would, pastor. You're the pastor here. I'm sure you want me here. But it's just like, no, I wish you could understand that I'm telling you this just as a Christian. I'm telling you this as a Christian that somewhere early in my Christian life, it was drilled in my heart, make church a priority. And and, and when I begin to do that, the, the change that it's made in my life, And the change that I feel like I've been able to help make, even if it's just a small change in this world, has been directly associated with the involvement of the local church. 
And so, uh, but, but he said, if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Our purpose still today is the glory of God. And what's the glory of God do? It points people to Jesus Christ. Folks, we're not trying to further our own initiative. And listen, I want to say very clearly, somebody, you know, I, I get this sometimes or I hear things like this sometimes. Oh, preacher, you know, you mentioned the Supreme Court today and you, you mentioned a, a ruling and boy, you're bringing politics into the pulpit. Okay, but these are politics that are relevant to issues that matter to us as God's people. But I want, to tell you, I want to tell you this, and I want to say it as plain and clear as I possibly can. This pulpit, this church, is not an arm of the Democrat, Republican, Independent Party, or anything else. Folks, this is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. We are not a political organization. We are the church. But it just so happens that as being salt and light, we, just like we're supposed to make a difference in our neighborhoods, our homes, we ought to make a difference in our government as well. And so the glory of God, why? Because that points people to him. I'm not trying to point people to some would-be presidential candidate. Mm -mm. I'm not trying to point somebody to some political affiliation or party. No, I'm trying to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And now if, if along the way that leads in a certain direction, that's one thing. But the ultimate goal is to point this to the glory of God. Now, here's the thing. Here's one of the, been one of the struggles through the 20th century into the 21st century philosophy about the church. The church, it, it, there's the, become this philosophy that the church is not for God's glory, but man's glory. The doctrine that the most important thing, now listen to me carefully, hear me out here. The doctrine, the teaching that the most important thing is our comfort, our happiness, our pleasure. I've used the illustration over and over again about, you know, the people that would take polls. What do you like most about church? What do you dislike? Uh, well, and listen, I, there, there, I want to learn from that, by the way. I really do. Uh, and there's things I can learn about that. But if on that list, because this is what's literally happened with churches, they've done these kind of things. I really don't like it when the preacher mentions sin. Okie dokie. Mark that off the list because people don't like it. Seriously. I do not like it when the preacher says something about hell. That just, that just rubs me the wrong way. Well, do you realize how many of Jesus' sermons you're going to have to not talk about if you don't talk about hell? And literally, there's been churches that well, we don't want to talk about that. By the way, can I tell you something? Be real careful about this. I had this conversation. I was impressed with someone the other day that I was talking to, a young Christian, and they were listening to something that a church was saying. And they was like, yeah. That sounds good, that sounds good, that sounds good. But you know what? You know what a discerning ear begins to listen to? Not only what's being said, but what's not being said. I don't think they've said anything wrong. That's all right. Good, good. Have they said, have they said what's right, though? But there's this idea that it's about our happiness, our joy, our pleasure. Like in the days of the judges, every man does that which is right in their own eyes. And expects God to bless it. And don't you dare say anything contrary to that. Lest you be called a, uh, you know, something judgmental or whatever. See, by the grace of God, we're here to bring glory to God and to point people to Jesus Christ. Not ourselves. This church ain't about this preacher. This church is about Jesus Christ. This church isn't about elevating Jesse Haley Ministries. <laughs> this, this church is about elevating Jesus Christ, bringing people to Him. 
Because in living, here's the thing about it. Remember I said that the purpose of the church, the priority is not saying, how can we make people happy? How can we make people, you know, please people? How can we bring just comfort to everyone's life? Now bear with me. That's not the goal, but here's the thing. What you understand is, if you begin to put Jesus first in your life, and if you begin to put others first in your life, guess what you're going to find? You're going to find comfort. And you're going to find peace. And you're going to find joy. Is that not right? Somebody help me there? Amen. All right. So, sometimes I wonder if my sound cut out. I can hear me, but then people are just looking like, he's, what, is he saying something? Is he talking to me, you know? I, I mean, but I am. I'm talking to you. And I wonder if I could get a witness every once in a while. Man, I'd just love somebody to say, that's right, preacher. Amen. Something or another. Or just a head nod of work, too. But listen, the people in the work, there's a place. There's something that God's doing. Because man is not just created for pleasure. And it's been proven time and time again. I, listen, I believe in living a life of peace and joy. But it does. It will never, never, never come by putting yourself first. That is, it's just not, it's not scriptural, therefore it doesn't work in life. I'm not going to say much about this right now, but you, you check up on what I'm saying. You, you look at the, the impact that three, that, that the teaching of three men that are all weaved together have made on our society. You see it literally on a daily basis. It's these men, and, uh, and not in any particular order, but it's these men. It's Karl Marx. It's Charles Darwin, and it's Sigmund Freud. You look at the anti-God teaching that comes from different ways that is weaved in our culture. And that's all I'll say about that for now. But Viktor Frankl, he was another psychologist that contended with Sigmund Freud. Because I'm talking about joy and happiness and pleasure. He contended, contended with Sigmund Freud... Who ins and his, here's what he insinuated, that the chief desire of man is not pleasure. That's what Freud teaches. You ever heard this? If it feels good, do it. Freud. Feels good, do it. Um, you know, uh, ha have yourself, just, just indulge in every possible thing you can, and you'll have fulfillment. The chief purpose of man is pleasure. That's what he teaches. And if you really study the teachings of Freud, you'll find out that he was pretty much a pervert. Uh, as far as perverted in many of his teachings. He just thought that we're all perverts and just go at it. Uh, you know, and that's simplifying it uh, a ton. I understand that. But just get what I'm trying to say there. But here's what Frankel said. Victor Frankel, he contended with that. And he said that the chief desire of man is not pleasure, but meaning. Meaning. And that man is, is most tempted to distract himself with pleasure when his life is void of meaning. I'll say that again. The chief purpose of man is not pleasure, but meaning. And man, man tries to distract himself with pleasure the most when he has no meaning. But, but when you put yourself first and it's all about your pleasure, my point is you come up empty time and time again. But if you put Jesus first and if you put others uh, besides that, and that includes the church, what you'll find out is true joy, peace, and comfort. Now... You have a place. What is your place? What is your place? Have you ever thought about this? The missing piece in your life could be that you're missing, missing being a part of God's work. In other words, the fact that you might be the missing piece right here in this church might be the missing piece in your life. 
and, and you go out, or some other good, good Bible preaching church, uh, that, that, that you go out and you just try to find pleasure out in this world. Well, it can't be church. We just do that, that secondary, third, fourth, fifth, wherever it is on down the line. And by the way, as God's people, we do that, and we wonder why people aren't coming to Christ and their lives aren't being changed. What hope does the world have when uh, you say, preacher, you talking about church? Yeah, what hope does the world have? I mean, most people that hear the gospel, do you know they hear it in church? Or they hear it as a result of somebody that's an active part of a church? What hope does the, does the lost have when God's people don't care about church? That's just a question. But there's people in the work. The missing piece in your life could be that you're the missing piece in God's work. And that might be also why you're missing P-E-A-C-E, peace also. Double check my spelling on that. I was uh, nervous when I was spelling it. Felt like I was in the spelling bee. Uh, but anyway, uh, but, but, but look at this closely. You have a place in the work. Notice quickly the people in the work. In Nehemiah chapter number 3, you have 38 individual workers that are named in this chapter. You have 42 different groups that are identified. I, I shared with you earlier, next unto him, next unto them. Find your place. And, uh, and, and if, I, if I could this morning, and, I, and I'm trying to bring this down this morning, but could I get six volunteers to come stand up here? Not everybody at once. I only need six. Uh, all right. Okay. Deidre. Wow. Okay. Shane. Nicole. Wow. Look at this. Uh, Y'all stand shoulder to shoulder. Uh, shoulder, leave a gap here, Emily. Leave a gap there. Doria, you stand there. Uh, Lance, come down here and leave a gap right here. All right. Is that six? That's six, isn't it? Now I'm using six for a purpose. I was thinking I needed some volunteers today, but I'm using six for a purpose. Here we are. People's building the wall, right? And you, you have Lance. And next unto him, well, we'll skip that for now. You got Doria. Next unto Doria is Deidre. And, and here's Deidre working. And next under her is working Shane. And next under Shane is working Nicole and uh, nothing here. But then we got Emily working over here. All right. Now, here's the way it goes a lot of times, all right? We're talking about the work, a place for you in this work. Here's what happens too many times. We've got the, the wall. There's a wall. But now what kind of wall does this look like? Get a little closer, Doria, that way. If you're trying to build a wall... You know, well, this is great, and this is great. But what about this big gap right here? They're, they're trying to do a work, but there's gaps in the wall, all right? So here's what too often we have to do. Six, by the way, is the number of man. That's why I did six, uh, which doesn't add up the way I'm going to do it, but it's fine. Uh, I don't know who I, whose idea this was. But, uh, but no, here, here we go. So here, here we have this gap, and so it's just like, oh, goodness, uh, We've got a gap here, you know. I, I don't know if this is uh, work in youth. I don't know if it's greeting. I don't know if it's security. I don't know where it's at, but here it is. Here's a gap in our wall. Oh, what are we going to do? Uh, Deidre, uh, could you please, we got a need over here. Could you please come over here and fill in this gap right here? Thank you so much. Okay. Oh, goodness. Okay, now, now all of a sudden, well, there's this lacking. We have this whole ministry in the church, but... Uh, but, but there's no problem. Shane, I know you're doing another work right now, but can I get you to go over and do this work? Did you know that's how the average church works? I, actually, the average church would be lucky if they had that many. But that's how it works. Oh, but, but Nicole, forgot to tell you, I know you were going to be greeting this week, but 
you know what? We really need somebody working the children's ministry this week. Could you please come work in the children's ministry? Thank you so much. Isn't that wonderful? Woo! We're getting it done. Now, here's what. Yeah, come on, Liam. You can come. Maybe you can come help fill the wall, buddy. <laughs> and by the way, this message is not just for adults. Every one of these young people, it's for you. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter whether you're done with school or not. It doesn't even matter if you're in high school or not. I'm telling you, every one of us, from the youngest on up, have a place to work. And he's taking her on, and that's fine. Uh, and, and so get back. Well, no, you stay right there. It's still good. We've we got a big gap there. It's good. All right, so here you go. So, so there, there's the gap. There's the need. And so, and by the way, you, you know what, as a pastor, you know what I get to hear sometimes? Pastor, there's a hole. Okay, you, you, you know, right, you're right. You're right. Uh, uh, Nicole, I need you to come back over here because we have a hole. All right. And then all of a sudden I hear, you know, all of a sudden I get somebody disgruntled. And this does rarely, rarely happens. Rarely happens. But, but then somebody will say, well, Pastor, you know, I love the church and everything, but uh, we were bringing our kids to the children's deal, and there was just nobody there that week, and so uh, you, I wish you would do something about that. Now, you know what I'm thinking, don't you? Well, there's room for you. You, you could stand here. Or if you couldn't stand there, maybe you could come stand here, and the other person can stand there. But you see what I'm doing. Where your, your place on the wall, next unto him, next unto him. And so my goal is to say, well, you know what? I can stand here. I can stand here. But what matters more in this world? A lot of other things, right? A lot of other things that are more important. But I believe that if we get the proper perspective, we'll understand that really the church is the work of the living God. And that us finding a place, and I love what the Bible says in the book of Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. God said, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. God said, I sought for somebody. I was looking for somebody. that would. I needed somebody to stand in this gap to make up the hedge. But now God said, I found one. But then I love it what the Bible says. To, I love Isaiah's reaction. Because when he saw the need, he said this, Here am I, Lord, send me. And Connor, you're going to be Isaiah today, and you're going to say, Here am I, Lord, send me. And I, well, Thanks, Connor, come on. <laughs> and I am sending you to make up this gap right here. Amen? And, and, the, and the point is simply this. If you're here today and you're saved by the grace of God, you've got a place. Would you be fit, willing to fill that place? Would you be willing to step into that place? You said, preacher, we're paying you. Don't you know that? Well, I've got a place, and I'll gladly stand in that place, and I will gladly help in these other places. But the point is, each of us, and by the way, if you've known me long at all, you're just saying, well, preacher's terrible at this. I know I'm terrible at it. That's why I'm not supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be here. I'm thankful that we've had people that have stepped into accounting and, and, and some of these other areas, aren't you? And organization, preacher, you're kind of terrible at organizing. I know I'm terrible at organizing. I am not the body of Christ. I am just a part of the body of Christ. And so, uh, so, so this is the picture today. And y'all can be seated. Give them a hand. Thank y'all for helping out today. But, but the point is, is you have a place in the work, the people in the work. 
See, Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, Paul compared each individual Christian to a member of the human body. Each member is important and each has a spe special function to perform. He gifts you according to the, to the assignment that he has for you. Now, I, w I think there's some people that could help me with this one. Has God ever asked you to do something out of your comfort zone? See, this goes back to that modern idea. Well, God would, I don't want to be uncomfortable, preacher. You ever think Jesus might have been uncomfortable when he went to the cross and I hate to go there? Uh, but it's true, is it not? He was willing to do that for me. Can I not say? Because if there's a need, <laughs> I'm just thinking about how humorous this is and how quickly I'll be tackled and stopped. But if there's a need, I'll say, you know what? I'll handle the finances. Richards, I'll handle the finances. I, I, I'll do it. I'm not comfortable there, but I'll do my, if it's a need and nobody else is willing to do it, I'll do it. I'll help. I'll do what I can. That's out of my comfort zone. Well, listen, I want to tell you something. Serving God, it, it gets out of your comfort zone. But I'm telling you, you know what Jesus said? It was in Sunday school today. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's a blessing. And I'm not saying that you've got to get up and I, I understand that we're gifted differently. I do understand that. And, uh, and that's one of the reasons you know me. I'm preaching to this to you today, but I'm the world's worst about asking people for help. You know that? I'm not good at that. I, I, I hate doing that. I, I, but I need to get better at it. Because I know that there's, by the way, I'm glad, hallelujah, that when we, when we talk about our church this morning, we're talking about a lot of people that are on the wall. And we can say next unto them, next unto them, next unto them, next unto them. I mean, we are blessed. Amen. And I am thankful for the heart of this church. You have no idea. Uh, there is no church I would rather pastor. And a part of it is, is the blessing of people's attitudes when it comes to service, when it comes to helping, when it comes to doing what they can. Uh, I, I appreciate this. And I, I'm not going to call any names here. I could go right down the line. I've got to be careful. I'd be here all day. And I'm not going to do that. But, uh, but, but somebody comes to me the other day and said, Pastor, I, I, have, I have figured out that I'm never going to make it to church early. Just don't do it. I, I just, I run late, that's what I do. But is there something I can do maybe after church to help? Something I can contrib contribute uh, that involves standing on the platform and being recognized, people knowing that I'm doing it? No, they didn't say that, but just... Uh, but, is there anything? I was like, well, I said, one of the things I said, uh, you know, the teachers and uh, uh, the teachers in the classes and, and junior church and different things, they all have to make sure the nurseries are clean and the, and the junior church is clean and all that. I said, you, you could say it. And guess what they do? So every once in a while, she'll stay and she'll, when, when she can, she'll stay and just help do that. And every bit, see, every bit of it is a part of a greater work. Uh, that God is doing. You have a place. Uh, I, I'm trying to wrap up here because a lot of this I can preach again to you later. But what you're going to find out later, when the enemy really starts attacking, families start working together. And husbands and wives are serving together. And their kids are serving together. The, these kids are over here mixing up uh, mortar to put on the bricks. And they're learning how to use a trowel. And they're learning how to work, and they're learning how to do, do a work for God. Man, I want to get our young people involved. Don't just sit around all the time. I mean, honestly, if, if, if you see a need, you can jump in there. You can say, you know what, I, I can do that, or I can do my best, or I, I'm willing to do it if somebody helps me, uh, guides me, helps me understand what's going on. You, there's a work for you to do. Uh, God uses all kinds of people. As you read through chapter number 3, you'll find out that there's rulers. 
There's priests, there's men, there's women, there's professional craftsmen, there's people from outside of the city. There's a place for everyone, and there's a job for everyone to do. The vast majority didn't know what they were doing either. I'll tell you that. <laughs> and I'll say more about that as we go on through the book of Nehemiah. You know something I had to write on my desk? I have this on my desk. I see it almost every day. My limitations aren't enough to stop God. I say that because sometimes I can think I'm not the man for the job. My limitations aren't enough to stop God. Only my lack of faith. Then I got in parentheses, fear and disobedience. That's the results of my lack of faith. Then I put that, said this to myself, don't be a victim of your limitations. Don't be a victim. In other words, oh, I just can't do this because I'm so, you know, undisciplined and I'm so this and I'm so forgetful and I'm so absent-minded and, and whatever else and I'm so dumb and it takes, you know, for, I, I have to read, sometimes I have to read a book two or three times before I'm like, okay, got it now. Uh, but, but, but there's no excuse, amen? Just keep going. Just keep trying. Don't make an excuse. Bible says, whether therefore you eat or drink, and whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. In verse 3, you'll find out that some people just will not work. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 5, some people will not work. I don't get hung up on that. Uh, you can't get hung up on it. Some people will not work. In verses 11, 19, and 21, you'll find out that some people do more work than the others. Uh, you'll find out that some work harder than the others in Nehemiah 3, 20. But the people at the end of the day, they finished this difficult task of building the wall because they obeyed the same leader. We're closing right here. They obeyed the same leader. As a matter of fact, Danny's coming to get ready to play the piano. They obeyed the same leader. They kept their eyes on the same goal and they worked together for the glory of God. Neither the enemy on the outside of the city nor the difficulties on the inside of the city distracted them from their God-given task. As we all stand today, I'll say this to you. Whatever you do in this life, do something for God. Let me ask you this. Out of the top one, two, three priorities you have in your life, what are those things that you are so invested in today? What are they going to matter a million years from now? A hundred years from now, when you stand before Christ, when you stand before Christ, what's number one in your life? What's, the, what's that going to matter? Or two or three? We ought to have the first few of our priorities to where we know when we stand before God, it's going to make a difference for all eternity. And may I say this right before we pray and dismiss in just a moment? The bulk of my message today was directed to those that are Christians. You know Jesus Christ is your Savior. But I've got some great news for you today. If, you, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you say, well, I, I, I believe in God and, uh, you know, I, I've gone to church and, and, and all that, and, and I, but I don't know if I'm really saved. I don't know if, if my sins have been forgiven. The good news for you today is that Jesus loves you very much. And the thought that I was trying to give you today is your place. What is your place? I want, to, I want you to know right now, your place is in Christ. Your place is in forgiveness. Your place is in really getting a hold of the God that's getting a hold of your heart right now. See, Jesus Christ went to the cross. 
He died there because our sin separates us. We're all sinners, the Bible says. That sin separates us. That sin, no matter how we may try to dress it up, that means somewhere down inside we're broken. Just like that wall's broken. But it means that there's a God in heaven that loves you and He has a plan to save you and build you and your life back up again. He wants to save you. He wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants you to become a child of God. You say, preacher, what do I need to do? You know what? It's not, a big, it's not any big steps or anything. But the Bible simply says this, that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Did you know that Jesus went to the cross for you? Ain't that something? He went for you and for me. Why? To purchase a gift called salvation. He then offers you that gift of salvation. And when He hands that gift to you, just like He's extending it to you today, your simple response to that is just to receive it. And to say, Dear Lord Jesus, from the depths of my heart, I want you to forgive me of my sins, and I want you to come into my life and be my Savior. That simply, you can receive Christ today. Isn't that wonderful? He loves you. He cares about you. He, the very hairs of your head are numbered. Heavenly Father, I thank you, dear Lord, for... I thank you that you had a place for me in this world. And that place was in you. That place was in the church. That place was Harvest Baptist when I got saved. And that place is Elk Point Baptist today. That's the place that you have for me. And boy, I love this place. I love it. I'm so glad to be a part of the work you're doing. I'm so glad to have some part. And God, I pray that you'll be, help, be willing or help me to be willing to, to stand in the gap. Help me to be willing, God, to make up that hedge. Help me to be one of those that is next unto him and next unto him and next unto her. And together we work. And God, for anyone today here that does not know you as their Savior, Lord, you have a place for them, God, and you do not want them to miss it. They have a place of forgiveness in you. They have a place of purpose in you. And they have a place in heaven. Lord, they just must simply receive that gift that you gave to them. Help them to do that right now by praying from their hearts and asking you, Dear Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sins and be my Savior. Help us to find and fill our place today, Lord. And we'll thank you for that, God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you today. We're going to be dismissed. Ralph's going to pray for us.